Happy Monday, you Liberty Lunatics, and I hope everyone had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. I know we sure did during our special with Blast Off with Johnny Rocket and Raylene Lightheart back on Electric Liberty Land on Wednesday. If you missed that, it was an outrageous time. Be sure to click back in your podcast feed and check that out. But now that we are all recovered from Thanksgiving, we've all had our meals, we've all had our Thanksgiving parties, and what's not, maybe some awkward political conversations at, at dinner. I don't know what you guys went through, but whatever you did, I know this. Now we're back to reality. And you might have some health care decisions to make because it is open enrollment time for many of you. But you would never need to worry about open enrollment if you looked into our sponsors at Health Excellence Plus because you can sign up with them all year long. If you lose your health care halfway through the year for whatever reason, you can always get on with Health Excellence Plus. Why? Because they're an amazing, refreshing, free market alternative to our standardized, corporatized, Obamacare-ized in health insurance that has become so darn expensive and so difficult to navigate. But Health Excellence Plus makes it so darn simple for you. They do everything to help you save money for yourself, for your family, and take care of your health. Focus on the important things, and that is actually taking care of yourself. Learn more by heading over to lionsofliberty.com health. You can check out my interview with the co-founder, Jeff Cantor, from very recently. He'll also give you his personal phone number over there, and you can give him a call. He'll answer any questions you have. Again, lionsofliberty.com health. I'll also post a link over in today's show notes at lionsofliberty.com 428. All right, my guest today is a Free State Project mover. He also works for the cryptocurrency Dash. And uh, interestingly enough, and the reason he's coming on the show today, is that he lives 100% on cryptocurrency. I'm very pleased to welcome Joel Valenzuela. Joel, are you ready to roar? Is taxation theft? The answer is yes to all these questions. So fantastic. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful, man. Uh, and, and we're going to really get into this issue uh, in, a, in a bit. You know, this is a, something I touch on a lot. And the fact is, I'm pretty much like the worst libertarian when it comes to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I do own, own some Bitcoin. So I at least have that going for me. Uh, and I actually own a Sia coin, too, <laughs> on the suggestion of my friend Howie. But uh, for the most part, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't really use it for anything other than I, I feel like I should have some as a libertarian. So we'll, we'll discuss a little bit more about why you, you use cryptocurrency. Uh, for everything in your life. But first, I want to learn a little bit more about you, uh, starting with how you first got involved in politics. Obviously, you got involved with uh, libertarian ideas, ended up moving as part of the Free State Project. So give us a little recap of your journey there and then how you first became interested in cryptocurrency along that path. Yeah, so it's all basically the same story when you think about it. But basically, from an early age, I kind of uh, was uh, raised in this liberty-leaning conservative household where everyone says that you know, freedom's a good thing. That the that America is the greatest country in the world because freedom. Something about freedom, founding fathers, freedom. So I, in that way, I kind of always understood that that was something that was important. Of course, over time, what that exactly constitutes uh, shifted a little bit more. Um, but essentially, from day one, I just thought it was very, it was very fascinated by um, one thing in particular, which is economics, because. For me, that was a way you could sort of prove that freedom works in an objective sort of a way. Whereas you could say, 
hey, look, at, let's check out these regulatory and tax environments in these countries and see how they perform on this objective measure of, say, GDP or other standard of living or other st- other metrics over a long period of time. And you get to say you get to see on paper. You don't just argue, well, I think it's good that people should make these choices or I think government should make those choices. It's something that really just you can put on paper. You can actually see. And so in that, I just started getting involved in think tanks from a pretty early age when I was starting, I guess, when I was 16. I was also homeschooled all the way up through college. And so around... Probably not a coincidence to uh, some of your political ideas. Yeah, of course. You get to uh, uh, escape some of the the more forcibly put on Fowler ideas that float out there. But so I started interning at a bunch of uh, free market think tanks where you kind of the the libertarian conservative line is not so clear because it's all the sort of, you know, what works for the free market. And so getting involved with that just sort of, you know, that was what I did for um, my undergraduate degree was in statesmanship of all things. And so I ended up being involved in that kind of, uh, that kind of scene professionally. And so, you know, of course, over, over the, the years, it kind of took me more into a, libertarians kind of world, even though I did work at a, a few different, um, more conservative leading places like, for example, Leadership Institute and even a brief stint at the George W. Bush White House way back in the day. And all that, of course, just solidified that, you know, I think the freer that we can become, the more, the less restrictions we have in our ways of just living life as we see fit and then being subjected to the real world consequences thereof the better off things are. And one thing that always stuck out at me because my family is from Mexico and I did live in Mexico for a while. And I remember seeing the before and afters of the currency crisis that happened. Of course, I was too young to really fully grasp it in the aftermath. Of course, you see, oh, there are these old, old coins. They're no good anymore. But it's like, this is like a hundred pesos and this is like one peso. And the one peso now is worth way more than the hundred pesos. Then they say, what happened to the other ones? And of course, you know, hearing about the peso crisis and hyperinflation, and all those kinds of problems, they always stuck out to me a little bit more than a lot of other issues of, well, you mean the dollar today is worth so much less than the dollar a hundred years ago. It's only a fraction of that. And like, why is that? And that seemed like a mind blowing kind of a thing because, you know, when you're, when you're a young kid and then you start to get uh, adult jobs, you have your little piggy bank of squirreled away funds that you can use for whatever. And just the, the thought of like, Hey, you work hard, you get this, this basket of funds in return for days and moments of your life. You'll never get back that that can somehow just bleed away and you don't have to actually get anything in return. It's not like you're paying rent with it. It's not like you do anything. You're just sitting there and as your value is going away over time, that struck me as like something that no one was really talking about nearly enough. Especially when people are talking about uh, practical solutions for liberty. Now, I know that, you know, we're never, we talk about the absolute um, nirvana of a world where everything's free and wonderful. And we talk about where we are today and we're trying to get there. And a lot of that revolves around, um, for a lot of people, I mean, especially in the old paradigm, uh, a lot of that revolves around addressing government, talking to government, lobbying elections, things like that, and not a lot about what we can do outside of the system. And I kind of got drawn towards outside of the system things because I'm extremely impatient. 
I just don't have the patience to sit around and be like, well, let's move the needle over time and then hopefully we get there. And so, for example, one thing that every good freedom lover can do is take a much greater charge of their own personal physical defense, whether it be learning unarmed self-defense, whether it be um, acquiring and stockpiling firearms. I mean, that's kind of those are kinds of things that, you, that a lot of people can do in the in the short term and a perfectly now and perfectly legal kind of a way to where you kind of you embrace the future where people are much more um, dependent on themselves and their communities rather than government for their own safety. You can kind of start kickstarting that today. And so another one of those things, of course, would be money is what happens if you can use stores of value or medium exchange that are different from the ones that are constantly bleeding value and not just bleeding value, but of course, transferring value over to the governments that print them and then spend them on all kinds of nasty things. And so that was another thing I focused on was, well, what can we do about that? And so that lot, that naturally pushed me towards the whole precious metal angle to where, you know, we talk about everything was better under a gold standard or whatever, or at least the, this is sound money. The government can't print more. If you have, say, $1,000 worth of gold today, that purchasing power is going to be roughly the same in a long period of time from now, if not more. It's not going to be constantly and forcibly eroded. But of course, your options for using precious metals directly are a little bit more limited. First off, you have to carry them around with you. You have to hold them in your house. You can be, they can be stolen. There's things like that. It's just, it's not as, it's not, um, precious metals are not really a tool that are quite suited to the modern digital age. Of course, as I still think everyone should probably have some, everyone should learn how to use them. Everyone should, um, hedge against volatility in other ways. But, uh, I do, it is something that it's not like, you're going to go back to doubloons to go buying your coffee in the morning. It's not like that's a practical way of trying to live in the free world. You hope the whole world will be someday, but you want to start doing that now. It doesn't seem very practical. So somewhere around, um, 2012 heard about this thing called the free state project where people were trying out all kinds of radical freedom ideas in a real practical way. And I thought that sounded fantastic, so I decided I was going to go move out there. And on the way out there, I heard of some digital gold thing called Bitcoin and didn't pay too much attention until I got some uh, when a a friend of mine, uh, we were having pizza and he paid for his pizza, his part of the pizza in in Bitcoin, which is kind of an odd and apt kind of association. But after I started using it and I kind of saw how not only was this something you could use sort of like a a bank card or a payment app or some kind of thing where you can just easily transfer value with without having to lug some sort of a physical asset but I saw it was in fact much easier than that that you know you don't have to say well who's this person you're sending it to is it one of these one of these special customers do you have to know who they are that you could just send digital gold from point A to point B, there's a permanent public record of that and someone else can get it in just a second and just use it. And they might have a physical identity uh, tied to that. They might not. And it just kind of resonated not only as on a technological sort of way, like this is the future of finance. This is pretty cool. But also as a, 
some kind of a way people can learn to be free without asking permission in a real practical and hard to shut down way. I mean, yeah, it sounds like you're really not only fascinated by the, the technology and its its practical use of things, but it also fit quite well into you know your sort of philosophical mindset of things. Yeah, of course. And as I was saying before, with the whole interest in economics from back in the day for its practical parts, um, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship between um, what one could call subjective valuation of freedom and objective valuation of better standard of living. And so if something makes people better off, it's probably because it makes people freer. And if something makes people freer, it probably makes them better off. And so sometimes though, when you're, when you're angling for the pure freedom angle, the, the hard coded benefits that anyone who does not necessarily believe in freedom can still recognize might not be apparent right away. But as soon as you see, hey, this means anyone can buy anything, anywhere, anytime, no one can stop you. And that whole idea, you start to think about the implications of that, of like, wow, well, what what can be done after that? What can you use this for? What can what can a society look like that does not operate around all these barriers? And of course, as someone who's always traveled internationally quite a bit, um, you can easily see like what happens if you don't have to have that big um, exchange barrier when traveling, if you can just still use the same money somewhere else. Because the only reason you can't really is because some government saying, no, 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 we use this kind of paper here. Or what happens if you can buy something internationally and no one's going to hold up the payment at the border and just say, no, you're, you're trying to buy something without paying all these tariffs and these other things. What if you could just knock down all those kinds of barriers and just transact like someone was in the room next to you. And just the, the thought of the kind of utopian sci-fi world kind of thought of what that would look like is something that really, you know, captured my imagination. And, you know, since then I've been focusing that, uh, you know, the majority of my energy on that. So when did you decide to make the decision to kind of take your interest in cryptocurrency uh, from maybe just a hobby or something you use sometimes to uh, where you are, n- are now and actually make this the system you use for all of your finances, for everything you do in your day-to-day life? Yeah, that was, um, it was always kind of in the back of my mind of some in some way, because obviously the very first cryptocurrency I ever got was just an exchange and then everything else I got from there was just, I did some odd job or I sold something or whatever. I did some, I used it as money. I acquired it as payment as money. So I never, this was never a speculative thing. I never got a Coinbase account and then bought a big uh, bit of it with my bank account and just held onto it that way. I just, it was always sort of a form of payment and barter. And in learning about this and trying to use this, there's always that, that line, at least it was very prevalent back in the day of be your own bank, use this, you can be your own bank. And of course I, you know, parroted the line a few times. And at some point I just thought, you know what, I'm trying to tell people, I'm telling people this is the future. I'm telling people this is great. I'm telling people this is better, but do I really know if it is? Or more importantly, if I can be in my own bank, why, why don't I, why don't I just try to do that? So it was towards the end of 2015, I just decided, you know what? I'm not going to accept payment in any fiat currency ever again. I'm just going to only accept cryptocurrency payments, and we, which is, of course, uh, a little bit of a, a risky move considering how few places will pay you in that. But I still managed to get by. 
what what were you doing for work at that time? Obviously, now you work for Dash, and I'm sure they have no problem paying you in crypto. But you know, at the time, you know, did you have any reason to believe you would be able to do that pretty easily? Start taking payments that way? Yeah, I didn't really have that much um, reason to believe that that would be successful. Um, <laughs> since moving to New Hampshire, I was uh, teaching martial arts in the evenings and during the day. I was doing uh, part-time work for a political advocacy organization. And so and at some point, I stopped doing both of those. And I just said, well, let's see what's going to happen. Let's see what I can find. I knew I had some writing skills. So I, I cold emailed a cryptocurrency publication and right over, over Christmas of all times. And they answered me. And I just started working for them for a while and then doing some other odd jobs for it. And so it turned out to work pretty well. It turned out to to be that that wasn't a barrier. It was not a barrier to getting actually paid in it, especially if you could start getting involved in the industry of some sort of a, a knowledge of that. And so that lasted pretty well all throughout 2016. Early 2016, I got tired of my bank account and decided to get rid of it completely because up until that point, I was doing some, some back and forth to where um, – Sometimes if I need, sometimes I'd sell some Bitcoin and, you know, for dollars in a bank account and use that. And then at some point I said, you know what, that's got to go too. I got to just deep plunge. And that worked relatively well for a few months. And unfortunately, something that, which is much more in the crypto weeds for people who have not been paying very much attention, but for people in the cryptocurrency space is a very well-known event is the Bitcoin blockchain started to become congested. There's a bunch of different uh, political reasons that, that that happened, but essentially too many people were trying to use the network and not enough supply in terms of bandwidth was was given. And so time confirmation times, like settlement time, started to go way up and transaction fees started to go way up. And a lot of people kind of hung on for a, a year longer than I did, but because I was using this as my everyday money, I couldn't wait two hours for someone to say, oh yeah, we accepted your payment. Or I couldn't you know, buy a $10 sandwich and pay $3 in fees or something. It's just, just not tenable at all. Right. So at that point, you know, I had to realize that what I tried to do is not exactly working. Now, of course, if you have a bank account and a fiat currency income stream and a mortgage and all the other stuff, and you just have some... Uh, crazy digital gold stuff that you're speculating with on the side, it's easy to say, oh, no, it's all fine. Everything works. But when you're thrust in the middle of this, it can become pretty difficult. So I decided, okay, I can't keep doing this. I got to either go come crawling back to my bank account and find some old other employers to pay me back in that filthy, dirty fiat that I talked so much smack about before. Or maybe I got to find a way to keep this going. So I decided I'm going to give it, keep giving it a shot. So I went down the list of cryptocurrencies that the most biggest, most popular ones, you know, crossed Bitcoin off the list and went down and stopped at the first one I could conceivably try to keep living my experiment on. And that was this thing called Dash, which is a portmanteau for digital cash. And so I started using that instead. I switched all my Bitcoin over to that and got a few odd writing jobs for it before I actually started working for the organization itself, which is um, quite another story in of itself because Dash is a decentralized autonomous organization. So it's not like a corporate structure you work for. It's just you work for the network. You just make a request to the network to do some kind of work. And if 
the plurality of people involved with it decide yes, then and, and you just get paid. So that's kind of what I've been doing ever since. I'd love to dig into that concept a, a little bit more because I think that's really maybe hard for people to wrap their heads around if they're used to just, you know, a normal job where you go and have an interview with the company and that company hires you and then you work for them. Um, and I guess it's very similar to the ideas behind uh, cryptocurrency overall is working in a decentralized way. But how, how does it how does it work when you work for a decentralized organization exactly? Like, how do you go about getting a quote unquote hired? I obviously, I imagine it's not in the normal way. You're not showing up and, and interviewing with a CEO because there's no CEO to be interviewed by. So, how does that actually work? Yeah. So, and obviously, this is like many layer. It's kind of, this could be trying to explain to a tribal chieftain how, um, how the current US, uh, representative democracy system works how the constitutional republic works work. yeah it to where you can and i'm kinda, not as smart as a tribal chieftain so it yes. might be a challenge but well there you go i mean it's same thing when you try to say well you got people who you know haven't been to prison who all can write down a little thing and then electors do what they want and then they get a huge process but I'll, I'll try to make it simple so basically if you own monetary units of dash if you know if you own any of the any of the units if you own a thousand of them, or if a thousand of you own one and all know each other, or however however it works out, because you know, it's the network does not know who what, who's a person and who isn't. It's you know completely pseudonymous. So you can run something called a masternode, which is just a special part of the infrastructure that just runs runs the whole network. But as part of saying as proving you own a significant stake in the network. You say, hey, I got, I, I have skin in the game here. Those entities can then vote for something called the treasury. So every every cryptocurrency has new coins created every single month. Some, like say Bitcoin and Dash, run out after a certain time. After a few decades, it's going to be decreased until it's just essentially no new coins. But so during that time, there's new ones created, and that usually goes to miners who are you know specialized computers that help keep the network secure and process transactions and other things. So most of them, it just goes right to that. But Dash has a special thing where a portion of that is 10% of the new coins created are set aside for people working for Dash, for the entity. And all that means in order to get that, you have to put in a budget proposal before the network, which means you literally just write up a thing of text, attach a five dash anti-spam fee just so you don't have people overrunning the network with all kinds of nonsense. And then you just let it go. And if 10%, a net 10% of the network or the master nodes or dash holders decide that they like your idea, then at, at the end of this cycle, the new coins created, a part of them just goes straight to you. They get minted out of nowhere and then you get them. No middleman in between. So it's sort of like you could call it like you're like a governance by a, a board of shareholders and then you ask the shareholders for a project for a funding for a project and if they decide to agree then yes but it's all done in a completely decentralized way where no one can restrict anyone from participating and it, it's that's how it's really kind of a radical system is it's not like one centralized corporation that can be you know taken down it's just like the network itself kind of decides to fund that 
Yeah, that, that is fascinating. Um, let's dive into a little bit more about you know how you go about using cryptocurrencies in your day to day life. Why don't we just start? Like, what what are the biggest challenges? Uh, other obviously getting to that point of, of obviously you had all those issues with Bitcoin and ended up using Dash more. But I'm just curious, like what what issues do you still have to this day that make things a little more difficult or or you know what have you? Yeah, the biggest problems are always not related. The biggest problems I had with Bitcoin ended up being related to the network itself, the coin itself. With uh, where I am now living off of Dash, the biggest problems tend to be on the infrastructure and how early to the game we still are. And specifically, one thing that, and this is not a problem, this would not be a problem if I lived outside of the U.S. largely, but inside of the U.S., specific bill pay systems are pretty few and far between in that if you want to pay like a, uh, electricity bill or rent check or something like that it's it's a much more complicated and antiquated system and there's there were a few bill pay systems that took cryptocurrency in the u.s before but they all got shut down because the banks that they service them shut them down and that might be turning a corner around here now of course in other countries there's it's a much easier process to just have a a bank number that you just can send a payment to and your bill gets paid. It's much easier. And there's quite a few cryptocurrency solutions that kind of work like that. And um, so that's always been a challenge having to find workarounds. And um, for example, you can use a Walmart, their uh, money center to go pay any kind of bill imaginable. And you can, through some services with cryptocurrency, buy Walmart gift cards that if you use it through the specific Walmart app, you can end up paying that bill. That's like one of those crazy workarounds. So that's probably the the most difficult thing is finding finding uh, specific bill pay type stuff. Now buying, you know, food, anything online, um, even gas. I buy these um, gas cards that come preloaded with, you know, money for the gas pumps and stuff. I get those with cryptocurrency off the internet. What if you're just driving along like on a road trip in the middle of nowhere and, and you get hungry and you stop at, you know, a, a store that maybe they even take like, well, I don't know if they take, I want to set up a, a total straw man example of a store mm-hmm. that takes cash only, but maybe just a regular store that uh, they don't have a, a Bitcoin infrastructure or anything. How are you grabbing a drink? How are you grabbing a snack? How are you dealing with little situations like that? Yeah, that's a little bit trickier depending on where you're at. Um, some of these, some of these kinds of, um, stores you can actually get a online gift card to like the moment of and so they can just scan your scan your phone you can go pay like that generally speaking that's one of those things where it becomes more difficult outside of my perfect little bubble of libertarian paradise here right right. where i have quite a few places to spend so when i go out into the dark zones as i call them the (laughs) the lands beyond where there's not quite as much adoption i tend to travel with some cash just in case but around here you can tend to make things work out pretty well. Um, there's, a, there's a significant gift card infrastructure, and some of them can be just bought for the precise amount. So here's an example. Every, like once a month, myself and some friends go out to the local Buffalo Wild Wings to watch the UFC fights because we're big martial art fans. It's always fun. When the bill comes, I can buy a gift code online with Dash for the exact amount that my bill was. And then they just write down the the number on the receipt and then they go charge it and it works. So it's basically the same experience as if I, the chain itself accepted cryptocurrency, except it doesn't. So there's a, a quite a few workarounds for that for major chains and things like that. But 
Uh, beyond that, locally, there's quite a few places that take it directly. And of course, online is where it tends to be a little bit more prevalent. And you, when you say you live 100% on crypto, are you talking about not just the banking industry, but you don't even carry like US dollars around at all? I mean, you just don't use them, period? Uh, very little. Uh, sometimes it, it depends. Uh, obviously, when I travel outside the state, I, you know, I have to have some just in case. Uh, it's definitely something I keep to a, a minimum. And uh, like there have been quite a few weeks where I just have, you know, five or less U.S. dollars on my person and just don't touch them. You know, but it's I, usually that comes in hand, most in handy when either I'm going to a new business that I want to take it and I want to buy something first before I say you should take this digital stuff. Or it's just, you know, when I, I get tired of like the few options I have and I'm just like, ah, just, you know, for just for a luxury, I'll, I'll have a different choice because, you know, these places I can I can buy coffee, but I'm tired of these couple places. I'm going to I want to go to this third place. And so I'll try that out. But other than that, it's like pretty much 100%. Hold your horses, kitty cats. I have to jump in here for one second and tell you about another great libertarian podcast. And this one is not your typical podcast. This one doesn't really focus so much on the ideas of liberty, but on music. And who doesn't love music in some form or another? I I guess some people don't, but who really wants to know those people anyway? Let's be honest. Anyway, the show is aptly titled Sounds Like Liberty. Sounds Like Liberty is hosted by Liberty's favorite nerdy husband, Nick Pacone, and his wife, Lizzie. They speak to guests every single week to find out who has the best music taste here in Ancapistan. And uh, the Lions of Liberty have actually been on the show, at least a good number of us. Myself, uh, Brian McWilliams, and Howie Snowden have all been on Sounds Like Liberty. We're still waiting for the John Oderman episode, uh, but uh, we're not actually sure if John listens to music because we already know he doesn't watch movies. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and go on over to ancapmusic.com and check out Sounds Like Liberty or just search Sounds Like Liberty on your favorite podcatcher. That's all I do. I I stick completely to the podcatchers, but Sounds Like Liberty is an excellent show and really does a great job of merging culture, music, and liberty together. I highly recommend this program. If that wasn't enough, the show is co-hosted by an African-American female ANCAP. I mean, what, what more could you ask for? And by the way, Nick did tell me to say, that in the ads (laughs) do check out sounds like liberty go to ancapmusic.com right now to learn more all right joel well i could ask you questions all day but we usually save this for our bonus segments but i decided to toss uh the opportunity to our patreon supporters the lions of liberty pride to ask you some questions about this because it's it's such a unique situation uh you know to find someone who's really making the effort that you're making to live entirely on, on cryptocurrency so with that being said we did we did sort of cover a few of them uh within the context of the interview already so if you don't hear a question don't be upset that that's probably why or i just don't like you maybe that's why um i'm sure you like everyone (laughs) i do because they send me money and i like like people that send me money yeah those everyone's <laughs> yeah uh justin har he wants to know what is the backup plan if the internet were to go out for an extended period of time what would you do in that case if there was say just a, a massive blackout that took that you know took out all of new hampshire for a month yeah well my instant response to that is uh what i do with crazy digital payments is the least of my worries in case that happens first off what does anyone do with banking services? How many people have enough cash to last more than like a couple days already? Can do the gas pumps even work without electricity? Like just how many basically if there's a giant blackout, that's going to be the least of our problems. Now, there have been um there is an example out of Venezuela recently because Venezuela is 
has a lot of cryptocurrency usage and activity. And there's a, a service called Dash Text that allows people to send Dash via SMS message. And during some blackouts, the rolling blackouts, so all the electricity in the country was out, but the cell towers are still working. People were still able to send and receive cryptocurrency through this application just using text messages. And of course, if you're back to the Stone Age where they're literally your devices are all destroyed and you know everything else, then that's something else. But I do, you know, I do have some, you know, a little bit of precious metals hanging around here or there. But essentially, I don't think I'd fare any worse. In fact, I'd probably fare much better than 90% of the world under the exact same situation. All right, Bobby Wilson has a question, and I'm not entirely sure what it means. Maybe you will. He wants to know, what is the preferred on slash off ramp? I guess that like, maybe just the best ways to get, I don't know. Do you know what that means? <laughs> yes. So <laughs> the preferred one, I would say, is probably a service called Uphold. And if you download a Dash wallet yourself, just the regular old Dash wallet, Uphold is actually in the Dash wallet. So what you can do with that is you can, if you link a bank account, you can buy Dash for about 1.25% flat, and it's all in the, want the same app, and you can sell for the same. So that's probably the easiest one. Now, Coinbase, which is like the, the big one for especially U.S. customers, also takes Dash now. So that's, a, that's around a similar fee, and yeah, that's a... That's another app. So those are the two major ones for U.S.-based um, users. If you go to Europe, I would look into Coinify. All right, Dan Roberts. Well, Dan wanted to know how you go about buying groceries and commodities. We, we kind of touched on that. Do you have anything to add just about the, the day-to-day um, you know, trials and tribulations of, of buying groceries and that sort of thing? Yeah, so first off, um, there's this wonderful farm up in the north of the country called Bardo Farm, and I pay them directly in Dash for my uh, – meat plan subscription. So I get a big old freezer full of meat at at the end of the month. And that's like a big chunk of that. And now some small farmers markets and other things will take it directly as well. So I do that whenever I can. And of course the French bakery around the corner takes it. So I do that for bread, but when you need just plain old regular, um, you know, grocery store type stuff, there's usually a few uh, gift cards you can do. So for example, Walmart and Target are the big ones that you can like I can, again, walk right up to the uh, checkout when I get the amount. I just buy the gift card for exactly that amount if I don't want to, you know, hold on stuff denominated in Target dollars or whatever. And so those are the big ones. Um, In other countries, there are supermarkets that take it and take uh, cryptocurrency directly. But in I think that'll be probably a hard sell for a little while here because that that workaround is just as good. It doesn't really wouldn't really change very much. All right. Austin Burdison wants to know, how do you deal with person-to-person transactions in a situation where the other individual requests cash? Well, I think most of the people that I do that kind of stuff with kind of know better than to just request cash. <laughs> or I just, I mean, it, it works pretty well. I I haven't had to do a lot of person-to-person transactions in that way uh, with people because usually if you're doing person to person transactions and it's not like a small business or something like that, usually it would be some uh, people you'd be relatively close to and anyone I you know hang out with and is close to. That's the beautiful thing about being in New Hampshire part of the free state project is there's what three to 5,000 or so movers who have come from all over the world that are radical freedom lovers and whether or not they are into cryptocurrency, they all know that they should be. And so if, them or a if any associated uh, friends 
if you have to do some sort of transaction and then they, they kind of know who you are, they know what's coming and they kind of like almost feel ashamed to not take it. So that's not something I've run into lately. Now, if it's something that's going to be a continual issue, like someone just some person really wants to keep taking cash or whatever like that. I'll just say, look, this is this is my money. This is what I pay. If you know, if that doesn't work, I can set something up so that you can convert it like right away. And I'll even overpay you a little bit just for your trouble then. But this is like what I do. And you know, so far I've not run into that problem with people saying, you know, with individuals. Um, usually once you can talk to someone one on one and you can especially if they know they can convert it. And if you're going to, if they're going to receive enough business or transaction volume or whatever, then no one's going to, no one's going to say no, really. Gotcha. Uh, Rachel Kennerly Watson, and you can uh, feel free to uh, answer or, or not answer this question uh, hey. to, to the best of your legal judgment. But she wants to know what does your tax return look like given the IRS rules about cryptocurrencies? How do you deal with taxes? Or well, do I'm or just going to answer. I'm just going to answer that by saying that. Um, she should look. She should look to get uh, a commission from someone else. I know. I know. I know her angle. All right. Well, I don't even know what that means, but I'll presume she does. <laughs> yes. No. I'm just just making a joke about her being an IRS spook. But no. Oh, I, I, obviously, it's just a joke. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe she is. See, actually, uh, Rachel actually runs a business where she helps uh, people in the marijuana industry uh, do their accounting and deal with you know all, all sorts of stuff related to that. So I'm sure these yes. are these are interests that sort of um, well will probably definitely coincide more in the future. Now, uh, just to answer on a more general on a more general subject regarding that specific question, uh, there have been a few uh, state jurisdictions that have accepted cryptocurrency for taxes all around the world, and including I think it was Ohio for a brief period of time. I'm not sure if they still do. And I mean, again, with the whole bill pay thing, if you go through some kind of a system like say the Walmart bill pay system, anyone can kind of do that. And as far as like what you actually filed stuff. That's always been a little bit of a murky uh, legal gray area territory, and so I'd encourage anyone to seek actual professional legal advice. However, it seems to be uh, as a, as a commodity, just capital gains. I if you buy some, if you acquire some for some amount, and when you get rid of it or spend it, although there have been some bills introduced at some point to make a a, a, a what do they call it a floor on that where if it's like under nine hundred dollars worth, it doesn't. You don't need to calculate capital gains on like purchases, but it's just generally a capital gains type setup. So, and I know plenty of people. Like I, I believe I heard that the IRS is now asking for um, to identify if you have any cryptocurrency or not on the forms. Although um, in the past, before they asked up, people just used their judgment on how they wanted to record that as capital gains amongst all their other assets. Use your judgment. I guess that's the final rule when it comes, yes. comes to this stuff. Ultimately. Use your judgment, <laughs> but uh, definitely recommended to get a professional involved, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like if you get pulled over by the cops and you know you have something in your car that maybe they don't think you should, uh, use your judgment about what you tell them about that. <laughs> yes, use your judgment, and always the best advice is always have a legal professional help you out with that stuff because they're that's what they're for. Yes, we are not a legal advice show. Um, ben Panji wants to know, how do you deal with the emotional roller coaster of daily fluctuations of net worth? I guess... A lot of drugs. <laughs> yeah, well, no. I, I do enjoy uh, craft beer, and there is a good craft brewery around here that takes Dash directly, so that doesn't make it any better. However, um, generally speaking, that's, that's a great way of phrasing the question because it is more of an emotional roller coaster than an actual real one over a long enough time frame. Now... 
surprisingly, it's been surprisingly easy, all things considered. I mean, back in the early days when I was using Bitcoin and I had extremely thin margins, um, there were com- a couple times when the price dipped in a short term and I just and I was kind of put in a more difficult spot but made it through. Generally speaking, though, uh, the first dash I ever received was when I was writing an article and it was worth about $7 per dash. And today, which is considered to be somewhere around the bottom of the bear market, it's about 10 times that. So over the course of the up and the down, the up and the down, it's been a whole lot more up than down across just about every major cryptocurrency you can imagine. And I mean, especially when compared with fiat. So as long as you're not going crazy, it's more of just a, well, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to spend, I'm, you know, I'm going to wait until there's a big upswing to buy that new dining room table. And then when it's down, it's just like, well, I'm just not going to go out and leave the house for coffee for a month or two. I'm just going <laughs> to just make it inside. You know, you just <laughs> going to ride this one out. Yeah. it's, it, And I'm sure you could do fine even if you don't quite go like that, depending on the margins. But it's, you know, it it is what it is. And honestly, it's something that encourages a very like entrepreneurial kind of way of thinking, because uh, if you how many I mean, if you have a job and a paycheck, your life is pretty stable as long as you don't get laid off for the most part. Now, if you own a business, that's a completely different setup where you don't know what your income is going to be month after month. You don't know what your expenses are going to be. There's going to be – you can kind of estimate a lot of that, but there's a lot of up and down, up and down. There's a lot of volatility, and volatility to a certain extent is freedom. This is what happens. You you know, you know, have a job. You get paid this. Your business doesn't make that the next month. You have to figure out how to deal with it. Then the times of plenty when you just get a giant surge of customers and income, you just say, okay, well – Here's how I'm going to I'm going to save this much. I'm going to expand the business in this way. I'm going to go take home this much. You you kind of all figure it out. And that whole dealing with the wild uncertainty is kind of something that I believe we as human beings were sort of bred to do in the beginning where, you know, you run around, you have a harvest, you run around and hunt, you get get some big prey. And then there's lean months when you're struggling and you have to go go through all the up and downs. And to a certain extent, the state has sort of promised us an out of all this in term in favor of stability and so i think that instability to a certain extent is the price you pay for freedom all right finally we've got one more question from austin broderson this is an interesting one as well he wants to know mm. do you arrange your spending oh this i guess you sort of did answer this a little bit uh, you know within the context of the last question but do you arrange your spending uh, around the strength of, of a particular cryptocurrency that you're using at the time or do you just kind of stick with with mostly dash or you know how do you look at the different crypt- cryptocurrencies you might use well i am pretty close to i mean historically after i stopped using the bitcoin i've been pretty much all dash i had like the only other stuff i've had has been someone wanted someone wanted some dash from me and so they gave me something else and so i just kind of had that but as far as like spendability like what can you spend it on globally and specifically in new hampshire i mean the businesses that take cryptocurrencies around here, most of them use a certain uh, payment processor called AnyPay. And if you look at their statistics, they publish their their charts month after month. About 75 to 80% of all their payments for all cryptocurrencies are Dash. So it's there's not much else that's being spent as far as like a money. Now, so that means that, you know, 100% of my crypto spending is in Dash just because it's it's as a tool it's what works. Now as far as like value um 
my my brain's too shallow to like get into all that um speculation and like have a basket and see how the basket performs and move in and out of some and i'm just i'm not you know i'm already spending way too much like intellectual capital on just figure out how i can use this to pay for bills and stuff that i don't really have the time to be that i don't have the mental uh capacity to just be like okay well i'm gonna you know monero's looking pretty pretty low right now i'm gonna throw some dash into there and oh wait and then six months oh it went the other way i'm gonna go re you know take some some gains on that one like no i I don't have time to do that sure and that that would really complicate something that you're trying to you're trying to simplify i think your use of cryptocurrency to make it as simple as possible through your everyday life it's already complicated enough in some ways so that would just add another layer of having to some people do it some people are good at this i'm not one of them all right well joel i really do appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your story and and taking questions from listeners uh i'm curious before you go do you want to give one final pitch for people out there maybe people that have dabbled in cryptocurrency maybe someone like me who just owns a little bitcoin and and just kind of sits on it i don't really use it for anything functional why should libertarians in particular but really anybody at all that might happen upon this interview why should people seriously consider doing what you're doing maybe not to the full extent you're doing it but perhaps at least uh, incorporating the use of crypto currency uh in our daily lives yeah because i hate to say it in these kind of stark maybe gloomy terms but if the government disappeared tomorrow a lot of people who hate it would be in a bad spot because they've been so used to relying on government services and other things like that and it's the same thing with for example what would you do without police tomorrow a lot of people would probably just not know what to do because they don't know how to defend themselves they haven't been practicing freedom and so if you're practicing freedom, the first thing you should care about, in my opinion, is your personal health and safety, which would be, you know, having good good diet and exercise and also being able to protect yourself. So for example, firearms ownership. But the second most important thing beyond just are you able, are you still alive or not is resources and money. So if you if you know how to defend yourself, but then the government can just take away your money at any point, either just confiscate from your bank account or just say you can't uh, or just reissue the whole national currency. So now the paper you have is worthless. If if that's a big problem, then you should probably take care of that. And if we as a global populace start trying to live free today, then the excuses piling up for why we need some kind of a violent entity in all our all our coins all areas of our life, those excuses start to fade away. And more importantly, even if you decide to destroy or you know scale back some entity such as that, and then it causes great hardship because people just aren't used to dealing without it, then they're going to be clamoring for a new and even worse government. So if you're serious about freedom, you should learn how to be personally safe and financially autonomous as well. All right, Joel. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on. Before I let you go, why don't you just toss out uh, people, anyways, people can uh, find out more about what you're working on or your social media. Anything else you want to toss out there or anything you want to mention, feel free to plug away. Yeah. So please feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Desert Links. Desert is in hot, dry place. Links is in kitty cat. No, it, it's not The Desert Linux. So that's the main place you can follow me. If you want to know more about cryptocurrencies in general and specifically Dash, there's a great site that I run called dashnews.org or just dash.org kind of gets you into it. And I do a weekly podcast for all kinds of um, cryptocurrency stuff on every Friday, and that comes out also on dashnews.org. But basically, the Desert Links on Twitter, 
dash.org to learn all about dash and dashnews.org to keep, keep to keep up with all the crazy stuff that's going on in this world. All right, Joel, well, I really appreciate your time and uh, best of luck with uh, living the crypto life and keep on roaring, man. Yes, thanks very much. Rawr. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joel Avalon Zuela of Dash, recommended by my good friend Roger Paxton of the Lava Flow Podcast, a show you should all be listening to. And when Roger recommends somebody, I take that recommendation very seriously. Roger, of course, puts on the amazing Pork Fest every year, or at least he has the past two years. I believe he is taking this year off. But we get to go to amazing events like Porkfest and the Libertarian National Convention, which we'll definitely be going to next year, thanks to our supporters on Patreon. You can check that out at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. We have tiers for everybody. You can join for as little as $2 a month and just get access to our secret Facebook group and a lot of the live streams we do. We're doing them for the Democratic debates. We're doing them for our uh, libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor shows. We live streamed our Blast Off special, our Electric Liberty Land Blast Off Thanksgiving special last week. So you can get all of that for as little as two bucks a month. Then things go up from there for five bucks a month. You get access to all of our audio content. And there is a shit ton of it, by the way, from Conspiracy Corner to uh, bonus segments with our guests, bonus libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor, hours and hours of extra content. Brian does an amazing job doing South Park recaps, Rick and Morty recaps. It is all there behind the paywall and the benefits just go up and up from there. We also have the brand new Nittany Level For $50 a month, you get to choose a topic for Conspiracy Corner, which will become a public show in those months, or a uh, a movie for us to review. You get to control a lot of the content of the show at those levels. And of course, everyone at the $25 level, our amazing Moose Fossa level, gets to hop on a conference call with us every month, give us input to the show, uh, the kind of guests, the kind of questions we ask, and that sort of thing. So it's really just a matter of becoming more involved with the show. And I know the pride really takes... (laughs) (laughs) pride in helping us out and help us really craft the show. So please do check us out, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. And I know Black Friday just happened, but today is Cyber Monday. And if you're doing shopping for the holidays at all, or anything really, you want to make sure you use our Lions of Liberty affiliate link. That costs you nothing at all to use, but gives us a little kickback to help this show grow. So you can find that at lionsofliberty.com slash Amazon. Friends, of course, as you know, it is not just me here on Lions of Liberty. On every Monday, I do the flagship program interviewing leaders and such in the libertarian movement. I also host roundtables and the occasional debate. But then on Wednesdays, we mix things up because Brian McWilliams comes in and slaps you right hard over the head with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odermatt wraps things up every Friday with his hard-hitting and inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. You don't want to miss a thing, just like Steven Tyler in Armageddon. You don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, I just did that. And I'm not editing it out. I could have do a lot better, though. Join me at karaoke in Austin, and I will do a better job at that song, I promise you. But I digress. The point is, you want to hit that subscribe button so you get all three of our weekly shows for free every single time delivered right to your phone, whether you listen on iTunes, the podcast app, whether you listen on Stitcher, you can listen on Spotify now. I don't care how you listen. I don't even care if you just listen by cupping your ear and trying to catch my sound waves as I record these episodes. As long as you're listening and telling people about the show, we are always thrilled to have each and every one of you a part of a advancing this conversation about the ideas of liberty. And until next time, folks, live long and live free. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. 
Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. 